Okay. Uh, Zevon did not like it. <laughs> no, just let, just shoot from the hip. Okay. Okay. Hello and welcome back to Famous Last Words, a film making, film making, making film, film appreciation. Talking about films. Film appreciation podcast in the grand tradition of the Avon Calling. We're about as as annoying as they are. No. We are not related by blood, but related by legal standing with the state. Or the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Or the Commonwealth of, of Massachusetts. Where we were married. Yes. I'm Andrew. I'm Teresa. And we are the aforementioned married couple. <laughs> Today we are talking about a little film, a little tiny indie movie, made by a little tiny indie studio. This is, of course, if you've clicked on the title of the podcast, you already know what it is. We are talking about Glass Onion, which is not a Beatles movie. It's a Knives Out mystery. A Knives Out mystery. Knives Out 2 for those that you want to to get the goat of Ryan Johnson. <laughs> What's this movie even about, Teresa? Well, let me tell you. Oh. Oh. Tech billionaire Miles Braun invites his friends for a getaway on his private Greek island. When someone turns up dead, Detective Benoit... Wait, Benoit Blanc. Benoit Blanc is put on the case. So, same Jan- character. James Bond. Yes, Daniel Craig, same character, completely different story. He's he's French James Bond. He's Louisiana Louisiana Southern uh, James Bond. Yes. So this movie is a lot like the the first Knives Out, in which it features a lot a lot of performances, like a lot of like name actors are in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's what they would call an ensemble cast. And yeah, that's <laughs> the insider would say this is an ensemble cast movie. Mm. Um, Ryan Johnson, uh, interesting director because like nobody has garnered as much kind of like bipolar hate and love as his as he has because of his turn directing the Last Jedi, the eighth Star Wars in the saga. The movie everyone hates, but Andrew loves. The movie everyone <laughs> hates, but Andrew loves. I like it more than Return of the Jedi. Come at me. Whoa. Yeah, it's my third favorite Star Wars movie. Return of the Jedi is for. Because there's no teddy bears? The teddy bears are rough. The teddy <laughs> bears are rough. Um, I think Ryan Johnson is a fantastic filmmaker, and I think that when given free reign, which he has been in these Knives Out mis- Knives Out movies, the first one for Amazon, this one for next- Netflix, the next one will be for Netflix as well. Um, he's really great. He knows how to use the camera really well. The frames are very full. All the frames in this movie are very, very full and you have to pay attention to the background i really appreciate that that he his set decoration supports the story in a way that uh may seem oculent or just annoying or stupid at first but eventually becomes fulfilled i think this movie is really interesting also because it's one of the few movies that like does covid times correctly because i think a lot of people made movies during covid and just tried to ignore that they were during covid mm-hmm. yeah that's true it becomes like part of the plot and you know they haven't seen each other in a while and part of the reason is because of covid so it's like something to very easily relate to yeah and i think that uh you know we're going to talk in about in a couple weeks uh about everything everywhere all at once and i've been thinking about that in relation to this movie um because in a lot of ways i like 
uh, knives out a lot more than everything, everywhere, everything, all at once. <laughs> um, but I think that they they both benefit from the same thing, which is that for the last like ten or fifteen years, with uh, some notable exceptions, we've been living in a time where movies are reboots and franchises, and they've been kind of coming in hot and heavy, and that they've been dominating the box office, and they've been dominated our like collective consciousness about what we are experiencing movie-wise. So I feel that uh, Knives Out benefits, both of the Knives Out in this one is no exception, benefit from this, like, oh, it's different Mm -hmm. and it's very competent storytelling, as opposed to, like, you know, know, Guardians of the Galaxy 10 or whatever we're on. (laughs) You just like that it's not a Marvel movie. I love that it's not a Marvel movie. (laughs) No, but that's true, and, like, it does do what it's supposed to do. It's like a fun popcorn movie. It's supposed to be entertaining. It's nice that it's like a mystery, but you don't feel stressed out about like trying to solve it before the movie's over. You just kind of like you along for it. the ride and huh? You solved it in like the first two minutes or like the two, and the inciting incident which happens into oh. the movie. Well, I noticed something. Yeah. And so that's the other point. Like the other thing I really like about it is that actually there's like a, all the clues are really in plain sight and... You know, they don't try to pull one over. But at the same time, you do know that they're going to, like, have a fun explanation at the end of, like, with Benoit Blanc, like, explaining to you how it went. And it, you know, it kind of reminds me of Clue, like, the old movie. Oh, the Tim Curry, (laughs) Christopher Lloyd Clue. Yeah, like, they do this whole thing at the end with three endings and they explain everything and they run around from room to room and it's it's really amusing and so i get like a little bit of that vibe from both of these knives out movies it's also how if you're anyone in their right mind should rearrange the rooms of their house is they should clue it <laughs> which means they should go from room to room looking at things and not just talking about it which is what we do yeah we clue it um i think that the the movie again is very adequate in what it does uh getting to the acting and the ensemble of this movie I think that this movie requires a lot more flashbacks and flashbacks within flashbacks, Mm -hmm. which kind of hurt the movie. Whereas the first one felt like, yes, there are flashbacks, but they're not seated. They're not like multiple setups. I found a lot of the characters to be annoying to the point of that, like kind of took me out of the movie. I think that, uh, Elon Musk's character, or what his name is, uh, Miles Miles Braun. Braun, played by Edward Norton. He does daft, stupid, powerful, very, really, really well. Which is mm-hmm. like you know he's honed it over his Wes Anderson movies. <laughs> yeah. I kind of think of him as uh, the character in Moonrise Kingdom in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of found the other characters, the supporting cast of his like minions, to be all kind of like unbelievably characteristic like like caricatures of like what they're supposed to be and like i don't think that they were allowed and i know this is, comes from the script the script has to be so airtight so it can move really quickly and get mm-hmm. through a lot of plot but it, it leaves a lot of opportunity to have these really great actors kind of just playing the butt end of like they're so stupid they're so vain they're mm-hmm. so powerful they're so dumb at like the end of the jokes but like you know like it would be nice to see more moments of them interacting. And I feel like these are characters that serve the plot more so than they're characters that this is not a Mike Lee movie. This is not like an indie drama that like 
gets to some greater understanding it's a popcorn movie yeah i think they are all exaggerated versions of potentially real people like you know, not based on real people, but like all of these personas exist in our current world. And so it's commenting on all of them by like having an over-exaggeration and a huge like in-your-face-ness to it. <laughs> um, but I agree, they're all a little over the top and it's fine. Like it's part of the movie. It's not pretending to be anything like super profound. But I do think in like the first, the other Knives Out, I think the characters were like a hair more realistic. Like some of them felt very like persona, but there are moments in this movie that they are mustache twirling villains. (laughs) Yeah, which is fun. Which is fun and fine. Like I, I don't dislike it, and I kind of like appreciate that. Like it goes there, but it's just like this is a pretty amazing cast, and it'd be lovely to see these people do something there. That's true. Um, they can do a lot more. I do think that you're right. The cast in the first movie was a little bit stronger. Um, I think that they were a little bit more believable, a little bit more like their motivations seemed just and they weren't. If you saw the first movie, every character besides Daniel Craig and Edward Norton in this movie is the Don Johnson character in the first movie, which is they're kind of there for like the crazy one-liner that really is like reductive and they don't actually have much agency in what goes on in this movie. Do you do you think like one of the main characters supposed to be Janelle Monae, right? Or like she's I think secondary to Daniel Craig. Yeah, she's the secondary character. She's the Anna de Armas character from the first movie. Mm-hmm. You do know, you feel essentially. like her character is over? Or I guess she plays two people. Right. Spoiler: she plays <laughs> oh. two people. Um, I think that it's part of the gimmick in the kind of like. You know, this movie is a very 1970s kind of like Agatha Christie type deal. And it's very Agatha Christie to have the same person have a mysterious twin mm. nobody knew about. <laughs> um, I think that I would have preferred it to just be another famous actress. Like mm-hmm. have one have either Janelle Monet play the sister or have her play the... You know what I mean? Like maybe they weren't twins. They, they, were just they like don't have them be students. twins. I don't well, think they need to be twins. They need to be for the plot because... Right. They need to be for like the central part of the plot, but it kind of is a... I don't know. It's a, it feels groany. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess so. I mean, one of the things that you mentioned about like the flashbacks within flashbacks that plays into like the twins... Um, and though I think you're right, like it felt like a little bit convoluted and like you had really followed along, I was impressed with the editing to like both the editor and Ryan Johnson work together to make sure the audience was like carried along safely on this ride and like make sure they understood what was going on. And maybe that meant like being, yeah, a little bit too mm, like ham fisted some things in there, but like. I think it was necessary to understand, you know, what happened, where the tables turned, you know, and not let, get anyone, have anyone be lost. And so I think that's an achievement to the editing, too, and the editor, because they had to find the right flow uh, and give you the right amount of information without dragging it out. I do think this is, a, I agree, this is, a, I mean, it wasn't nominated for any Oscars, I don't think. Um, but this movie was excellent in its in its editing. Um, you're you're completely right because there's a lot to bring you along on there's a lot of like 
you have to remember this MacGuffin and this MacGuffin and this character and this <laughs> character. And so from like a costume design, editing and pacing wise, this movie is excellent because the editing is almost invisible. There's no like big flashy cuts. There's no like everything is kind of, and there's a lot of digital effects I'm guessing in this movie, like digital extensions on the mm. sets. Um, yeah, I think this movie is really excellent in its uh, in its use of like, if you're, to, you're a new editor, you're not getting, you don't know a lot about editing watch this movie because the editing is really invisible mm-hmm. but they show a lot and they don't and like it supports when they tell things when they show things vice versa right like they go back and they explain in order to explain a moment they kind of rewind just a hair and you end up watching like the same scene again um sometimes i'm like a different perspective but sometimes straight from earlier in the movie right um which i think is tricky to do right yeah, they uh, they do a really good... Ryan Johnson in this movie, in the first Knives Out, and come to think of it somewhat in the Star Wars movie, he's really great at the medium shot, containing a lot of information, the medium to wide shot. Because a lot of people would... So the big plot twist is, or at the beginning, is Edward Norton kills Danny Batista's character and uh, early in the movie. Mm-hmm. And by giving him the wrong drink... They don't, they use a nice amount of mediums to lull you into a sense of like rhythm so that unless mm. you're Teresa, you don't see that moment <laughs> like necessarily happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. It's supposed to be pretty subtle. I don't know why I was focused on it. I don't know. I just happened to see it and I was like, hey, he gave him the other drink. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know why yet, but it was soon to be revealed. <laughs> what do you think of this whole string of movies that came out that were like in production last year, put out last year? That all are kind of, kind of the takedown of the upper class because we've we've now reviewed several movies that are kind of takedown of the, mm. and we haven't seen seen Triangle Sadness, but it is a takedown of the upper class. Yeah, I think there's a fad, for lack of a better word, of going on right now of like using humor in particular to comment on class differences and the upper class and how absurd they can be, which might also be why the characters were so over the top because it was supposed to be like a commentary on, you know, the absurd of the wealthy and the privilege. And that the menu, which we reviewed recently, has like similar vibes. So I think it's, yeah, I'm, I'm cool with it. I think it's a good way to interject humor in a different way than, you know, like fart jokes and other humorous things that... Or romantic comedies, that's another way to use, like, humor in a different way. So I I think I prefer this over, like, a romantic comedy. I I like the dark humor. Yeah, this movie is really witty. And I think, like, this... I think it's interesting that this movie is called Glass Onion. Because I kind of think, like, Glass Onion is, of all the Beatles songs, the most self-referential and intertextuality exists within Mm. that song. You know, it's it's talking about, you know, I am the walrus. And it's talking about conspiracy theories within like the fans appreciation of the Beatles and it's re- making reference to other Beatles songs that like you go oh that's uh you know what is that you know that's Penny Lane or whatever and this movie is all about the clues dropped within mm-hmm. so I don't know that uh that was the greater metaphor using that Beatles song um onions have layers onions have layers as Shrek <laughs> taught us um what do you think can you guess what my big problem was with this movie was it too long it was too long too long i mean i did not feel that way about this movie actually i think it was paced okay like 
You didn't tend to notice how long it was until you get towards the end. But, um, yeah, I think I, especially movies that are for, like, entertainment purposes uh, and popcorn-y and just supposed to be fun, like, I don't think it needs to be as long as some of these movies are. But, you know, that's my own personal thing. Some people, most people are kind of getting used to, like, this average length of movies being over two hours. Yeah, it's two hours and 19 minutes, according to uh, my research. Um, done instantaneously in the moment. Um, <laughs> Where you muted my microphone while I was speaking. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. <laughs> Hands off my board. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, mistakes happen. You know, we're not perfect. It's okay. Um, you know, uh, I think that, you know, <clears throat> something I run into a lot because I'm more of a curmudgeon than you are. You're just a secret curmudgeon. I'm adding you. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> is... You know, everyone's like, well, wouldn't you like to, to, to paint on a broader canvas? Wouldn't you like to make a film, you know, into a TV show or a miniseries that's 12 episodes long and you get 12 hours instead of two hours? There is an art to telling a story in 90 minutes or yeah, 100 minutes. or two, true. You know, like, I think that that's something that is appreciative. And I think that we're going to, the pendulum will swing back the other way. I really do think that we've, you know, we have the three hour movie of, you know, all these Marvel movies, you know, the end of the the first phase of the Marvel thing were all four hour, like three nearly four hour movies. And I think that there's going to be a people, people who are like, I want to see like a hundred minute movie. When you're looking at movies on Netflix or, or Amazon or wherever, it factors into your life that you, when you see if it's 90 minutes, right? Like if you see a movie that's like 163 minutes, nearly three hours long, mm-hmm. like you're like, ah, I don't know. That seems like a lot to, to get through. I'm sensitive to it, but I wonder if other people are like... But it's funny, I, I'm not sensitive to it when it comes to a television series like or a mini series where it's just designed to be one season. I'll watch it, and I'll watch the whole thing in like two days. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know, I'm contradictory. Tell me again about what happens in the second episode of Copenhagen Cowboy. Um, mm, yeah, well, there's certain, there's certain things where, you know, we have directors that we really like and uh they make great movies and then they get all this time on television and it's just not as good it doesn't work with their flow yeah i think that pacing is a thing that people should think about i mean people are giving tar uh which is a great lead into our next segment all kinds of shit over how long it is but i think that you know it's it's all relative it's all relative to the story you're trying to tell and um Mm-hmm. There's an art form to telling a movie in, in 100 minutes. And like with the rise of indie indies, which is like what we make, I think people even want like the 70 to 80 minute movie, which is like below what people used to call a feature film. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll get to Tar, but it's interesting that that movie was longer. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I still feel like maybe it was just a hair too long, but I didn't start feeling the fatigue uh, as as quickly as some other movies, and I think because it had a lot to get through, it had a lot of story to tell, a lot of people, you know, like or it's mainly one person, but there's a lot <laughs> about her life to understand to get to the whole premise of the movie. Right. Well, I think that uh, that that about wraps it up for us. Um, 
Do we uh, have a mailbag or anything? No, 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 no. Oh, the mailbag no. the mailbag was empty today. Uh, so Darn, no questions. Um, which times out do you like better? Not, not one or two? I, I don't really remember one. So I think default, I have to say two. I think I like the first one better, but that's because it was sent in Massachusetts. Uh, anyway, I'm Andrew. I'm Teresa. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.